If you can, turn over uh, to page 12, and you're going to find there, hopefully, the, uh, the passage for Genesis chapter 32, which is where we, we come this morning in the midst of our, our series where we're working through the, the middle section of, of Genesis. And uh, I, I like to say every week that Genesis is a good news book, and, uh, which is important to remind ourselves of because there, there's a lot in it that's not very good. Uh, but the whole book is framed by God's promise to Abraham that through Abraham, I'm going to bless the nations, the whole world. And the Apostle Paul picks up that very idea. And he actually says in Galatians chapter 3 that God preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand. That's why I'm saying that this book is a good news book. It's a good news book for a world shot through with all kinds of sin and breakdown and failure and fear and discouragement and mistreatment, on and on and on. And when we come to our passage this morning, we are really in the middle of the Isaac narrative. So you've got the creation account all the way through uh, Noah's story in the flood, and that picks up then Abraham, and we did Abraham, and now we're in the Isaac portion. But what's interesting, the central character of this portion really is Isaac's younger son, Jacob. And we finished last week uh, several chapters of, of this story where Jacob and Laban are the main characters. And Laban is Rebecca, Rebecca's brother. And Rebecca is Isaac's wife and Jacob's mom. And from chapter 28 to 31, Jacob and Laban go back and forth. And it's an it's a interesting and tragic section in, in the story. But for this morning, I want you to think about that whole part of the story as a parenthesis between chapter 27 and chapter 32 and 33. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. But here's where we are. It's been 20 years since Jacob has left home back in chapter 27. 20 years. And one of the things we've noticed the past couple of weeks, Jacob wants to go home. He now has... Uh, two wives, and he has 11 children, and he wants to go back home. And in fact, God has promised from back in chapter 28 that he is with Jacob, that he will keep Jacob wherever he goes, and that he will bring him back. And Jacob wants to go home. So that's where we pick up this story in chapter 32. So if you have your worship folder there, feel free to follow along or you can just listen. Jacob went on his way. And the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Sair, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you and there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. 
He divided the people who were with them and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to, to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night. And from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants. Every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves, You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him, and you shall say, Moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. The same night, He arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose up, rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his lip, his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so here's the story. Like I said, it's been 20 years since Jacob left home, and he is now returning home. But here's the question. What is he returning to? 
If you can think back with me, or if uh, you're unfamiliar with this story, in chapter 27, Jacob stole his brother Esau's blessing. Isaac told Esau to go and prepare a meal because Isaac wanted to bless Esau, the older son. But Rebekah heard about this plan, and so she came up with a scheme for her younger son, Jacob, whom she favored, to receive this blessing. And so Jacob agrees to this scheme and deceives his father, acting and pretending to be Esau. And so Isaac blesses Jacob. And as soon as that's done and Jacob leaves, Esau comes in with this meal that he's prepared. And both Isaac and Esau realize that Jacob has deceived them both, that he has lied, that he has stolen Esau's blessing. And what we discover back in chapters 27, verse 41, when Esau realizes this, listen to what he actually says. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So here's what's happening. Jacob is returning home. But he's returning home to a life-threatening situation. It's been 20 years. And all he knows is that Esau wants to kill him. In fact, that's why Rebekah, Jacob's mom, sent him to her brother 20 years earlier. Was so that Esau would not be able to kill Jacob. And now Jacob, even according to God's promise, he is heading home. And here's what's happening. Jacob must confront his past. For Jacob to go back home means he must confront his past. And not just in general, he must confront who he truly is. Jacob, that name means deceiver or he cheats. So here's here's what we're going to do this morning. This story is about confronting your past. It's about coming to terms with who you really are. And not only that, it's also about discovering who you can become in Jesus Christ. So I got two points for us this morning. The first is this, the anticipation of confronting your past, and then secondly, the blessing of confronting your past. So first, let's look at the anticipation of confronting your past. Look with me here in chapter 32. If you look here in verses, really in verse 6 and verse 7, what we have here is it describes that Jacob, verse 7, was greatly afraid and distressed. And why is that? Well, in verses 3 through 6, Jacob had sent messengers on, their, on his way back to go meet Esau and to find out would Esau be still angry with him. And the messengers, the text doesn't even say, did the messengers talk to Esau or not? All it says is they came back to Jacob, and it says, yes, Jacob is coming to meet you, and he has 400 men with him. In other words, in the ancient Near East, East, that meant, yeah, Esau is coming, and he has an army coming with him, and he is going to wipe you out. So here's where we are. 
Jacob finds out Esau's coming to meet him, and from all he can tell, Jacob is now coming to kill him and to take everything he has. So the very first part of what is it like to anticipate confronting your past, it's almost always fraught with fear and anxiety. Let, let me try to give you an example. Uh, those of you who have uh, been to your 25th high school reunion, I thought that would be a little bit more, you, that would strike your chord with you. Uh, <laughs> Going to a high school reunion means confronting your past. Uh, it means not just things you did or didn't do, but it means going back and confronting your high school self and all of those insecurities and those stupid things you did or those boyfriends you had or those girlfriends you had or those notes that you wrote and those people that you asked to the dance and all of these things that just and maybe I'm alone in this, but just give me the, the heebie-jeebies and, and makes me want to crawl up in, 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 in a corner and never come out. It's, it, what are people going to think of me? Uh, will they actually take me seriously today? Or will they think, man, you became a pastor? Like, we didn't see that coming. So just to kind of give you a sense of that's what's happening here. Jacob is confronting who he really was 20 years ago. And was that person going to continue to wreak havoc in his life today? So there's fear and anxiety. But notice here for Jacob, in verse 9, this fear gives way to prayer. And one of the things I've tried to stress throughout this whole series is that God's promises to Jacob are woven in and, in and out of this entire story. God's promise to Jacob that he would be with him, that he would keep him, that he would bring him back. And here Jacob prays to God. He says, oh God of my father Abraham and of my father Isaac, yeah, the God who said to me, return to your home and I will do good to you. Now, here's the problem. Jacob believes that, and yet here's his brother with 400 men coming to meet him. How is God going to do good to Jacob when this is what he anticipates as he confronts his past? And so here Jacob prays, and he says, God, you said these things to me. And not only that, in the midst of all that you've said and all that you've done, verse 10, I confess and admit I am not worthy of any of it. When I left home, all I had was my staff. I had nothing. And I was nothing. I was a deceiver. I was a liar. I was a cheater. And yet you have been with me and you've taken care of me and you've provided for me and you've kept your covenant promise to me. Will you please keep doing that? How will you do it? And so Jacob prays. He leans on what God has said. He confesses his unworthiness of it. And again, he asks for God to take care of him, to deliver him from the hands of his brother because he is afraid. In other words, God has got to do a great work here. And from what we can tell in the story, Jacob, in an amazing moment, 
believes God, trusts God. Because what do we see in verse 13 through verse 21? Jacob, what does he do? He says, I'm going to send my brother a present. And he sends him three groupings of the present. And what's happening here is Jacob is saying to Esau, I stole your birthright. I stole the blessing that was rightly yours as, as the older brother. And I am making overtures to you of giving it back to you. I am making amends. Because in the ancient Near East, when a father gave the blessing to the oldest son, what it meant was flocks. It meant uh, cattle. It meant all of the assets of an agrarian society that meant you could continue the family name and continue the family business, as it were. And Jacob is saying in his presence here to Esau, I know what I did. And I want to make it right. And so I want you to see something here about confronting our past. Uh, I want to make one observation. In this case, in this story, confronting, Jacob confronting his past is about confronting things that he did to someone else. And then having to face the, the very real uh, relational uh, breakdown and consequences of that. That's one kind of confronting your past. But another kind of confronting your past that I think is also can be uh, read into this, what this passage teaches is confronting your past when it means someone else has wronged you and its impact on you. And in all, in both types of cases, here's what this entails. It entails fear, anxiety, uncertainty. Uh, It entails prayer. It entails having to go to God and root yourself in something bigger and more certain and permanent than even the actions that you have committed or the actions of others. But it also involves a vulnerability. What is Jacob doing? What does praying lead to? What do God's promises enable Jacob to do? It enables Jacob to approach his older brother with open hands. It leads him to be vulnerable, to move towards a person whom he has wronged, not knowing what the outcome will be. And I want to I point something out here. I think it's important to note that vulnerability is a scary thing. Particularly when, me, when, when, it, when you don't know how someone's going to receive it. But I think it's fascinating here that the way that Jacob moves towards his older brother is in phases. He gives his older brother time to receive his, his gifts, his overtures of reconciliation, of making amends. And I think there's, there's an important wisdom lesson there. When we're confronting our past, it definitely requires being vulnerable. It means you probably making the first move and moving towards someone rather than staying away from them. But it also means thinking about how can I be vulnerable in such a way 
that this person can handle. And that will enable us to keep moving in a healthy, helpful direction. So confronting, this is all the anticipation of confronting your past. It means moving towards others with vulnerability and open hands. And particularly it means trusting God with how it will go. Trusting God to, in his commitment to do his people good, that he will do that. But then, second here, as scary and as uncertain and lonely even as it can be to confront your past, it's also precisely where God meets us to bless us. So secondly, let's look at here the blessing of confronting your past. If you look here in verse 22 and 24, at this point, uh, the, the presence that Jacob has sent, that's all in motion. Everything is in motion. Esau is on his way to meet Jacob. Jacob is sending his presence to hopefully uh, appease Esau, to restore their relationship. It's all in motion. And in verse 24, the last part of this plan, Jacob sends his wives and his children across this river. And now Jacob is all alone. Look verse 24. Jacob was left alone. And here, this mysterious figure shows up in verse 24. A man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now, uh, commentators have all kinds of, of ways of trying to make sense of who is this mysterious man, this figure who is nameless in this passage, who is described as a man who's wrestling with Jacob, and then, and then is described later as God. And uh, the best I'm able to come up with is simply to follow as, as simply as I can that this is a divine messenger, a God-man figure. Now, how can you confront your past? Well, it begins with God meeting you right in the midst of your life, of where you are. And this mysterious man is God meeting Jacob on the way to meeting his brother Esau. And I want you to see that there are two things that happen in this, in this encounter with this God-man figure that I think are crucial to confronting our past and enjoying God's blessing. The first one is Jacob struggles with God. Notice what it says here. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Very enigmatic, mysterious, unclear encounter. But go with me on this, that here is a, a divine messenger, a God-man figure, wrestling with Jacob. What is God doing by struggling with and wrestling with Jacob? One is, notice that this, does, this passage describes Jacob as actually prevailing over this God-man figure. I think what's happening here is God is taking Jacob seriously. He's entering into his life 
as it were, almost on equal footing. Taking him seriously, his situation seriously, and wrestling with Jacob over it. But notice, not only is this God taking him seriously, God also humbles Jacob. Because even though here it says that Jacob prevailed against this this man, just with the touch of his hip, this man humbles Jacob. He now is permanently limping. He's a broken man. His strength, to a degree, is taken from him. He is humbled. So here's the thing. When God shows up and blesses you as you are confronting your past and who you really are, he does it to wrestle with you in order to help you to know, I I am taking you seriously, and in doing so, though, I am humbling you. Which leads to the second part here, where what happens in verse 26, this mysterious figure says to Jacob, let me go, for the day has broken. And Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. See, wrestling with God leads to clinging to him. And you have to hear in here Jacob's name as a grasper. That Jacob's name means to grasp or to trick or to deceive. And here what we see, Jacob is changing. God is transforming Jacob into a new person who now clings to God. And in fact, this is the most powerful part of this passage about how can we confront our past when this divine figure says to him, what is your name? And Jacob says, my name is Jacob. Now, it would be so easy for us to gloss over that, but you have to remember here, to, for Jacob to own his name is to own his past. The past that he is now returning to. And he doesn't know how it's going to go. Again, all he knows is brother is coming with 400 men. He may lose everything and he may die. And he's confessing to God. My name is Jacob. I am the one who is a deceiver. I am the one who had to leave home. Because I stole my brother's blessing. That's who I really am. And notice what happens. This divine figure says, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with man, and you have prevailed. Here's what I want you to see. The blessing of confronting your past is it is God giving you a new identity. It's Notice in this passage, several times it says in verse 13, Uh, Jacob stayed the night there. Uh, Verse 21. All these presents passed on ahead of Jacob and he stayed that night in the camp. Verse 23. The same night he rose and sent his wives and children across the river. But then as he wrestles this divine messenger, a new day breaks. The sun rises. And I don't think that that's just an incidental narrative detail. The narrator is here telling us that in God giving Jacob a new name, he is giving Jacob a new identity. But notice it doesn't ignore in any way Jacob's past. 
or who he truly is, the blessing of confronting your past is it is the path to you actually receiving a new identity. So you were no longer defined by your past, but now Jacob is defined by who God has declared him to be, the father of his people, the one through whom God would continue to bless his family and through his family, the nations, the whole world. And what I want you to see here is that very simply, confronting your past is how you discover that your past is no match for God's grace. But if you don't confront your past and who you truly are, whether you are of the religious stripe or of the irreligious stripe, doing everything you can to earn God's favor and convince yourself that you are worthy or you're of the religious, irreligious type that's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the master of my own fate. I am going to create my own destiny. Whatever flavor you are, the only way to confront your past and discover God's blessing is for him to give you a new name, to declare you to be who he says you are by sheer grace. So when we come to the end of this, I want you to think about this story that Jacob, again, he's, he's confronting this past and God meets him right in the middle of his fear. He hasn't met Esau yet. We'll see that next week, chapter 33. All of his fear and, and his uncertainty and God blesses him. And here's where I want you to take you with this. You cannot confront your past on your own. And what this story tells you is you don't have to. Because this divine shadowy figure who meets Jacob in the midst of his fear and his failure and who he really is, he does it in order to bless him. And you know what that is? That is a clue of what the gospel is. What is the, the coming of Jesus, the eternal son of God, who becomes a man entering into human history, it's nothing less than, and it's much more than, God in the flesh confronting your past. A past that you were born into and you cannot change on your own. The gospel is God in Christ confronting our past and owning it as his own. Owning your past as his own. And absorbing it even to the point of bearing all of the consequences of who you truly are. In other words, Jesus takes your name and he owns it and all that it means. And he, in exchange, he gives you his name and all that it means. So that now, who has God declared a Christian to be? God has declared a Christian to be my beloved son, my beloved daughter, in whom I am well pleased. That's the new identity that Jacob takes with him as he now confronts his past and he does not know how it's going to go. How can you truly confront your past? It's only if the gospel of Jesus Christ 
has confronted you. Because only in Jesus can you know that God intends to do you good. No matter who you are, where you're from, what you've done, or what anybody else has done to you. It is the gospel that enables us to be afraid and anxious about anticipating our past, confronting our past, that leads us to pray and to ask God, help me, and to be vulnerable about it, knowing that because of God's grace and his promises and Jesus' work, you can confront your past, and not only confront your past, but you can discover who you can really become. That the gospel isn't just about your past, it's about your future. And who God is now making you to become. The man or woman that he intends for you to become. A truly beautiful human being. Who he will promise to bring home. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for this story and how in it you show us that... um, We can confront our past and be honest about who we truly are, knowing that by doing so, you promise to meet us and bless us and change us and give us a new identity and lead us in the way everlasting. And so we pray that you would do that for your glory and for our good. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.